Leading a beauty business in today's ever-changing economic backdrop takes a multitude of skills along with guts, instinct and energy. In the Industry of Beauty's In Conversation podcast, we talk to the people who are in possession of all of those qualities and more, including those who have set up their own businesses or those who have risen to the top of beauty businesses, large and small. We delve into the background of these leaders' careers, find out what drove them to success, what continues to motivate them, and what their ambitions are for the future. We also get their take on how they see the industry developing, along with their advice for those wishing to follow in their beauty footsteps. Jeremy Mose is the co-founder of Grown Alchemist. Through the understanding of cellular renewal and nutrient metabolism, Grown Alchemist formulates products which it thinks represent a new evolution in skincare. The brand uses scientifically innovative formulas that are capable of influencing the way that the body repairs and regenerates the skin. Mose tells Tom Shearsmith, news editor of the industry.beauty, about its products, the science behind the brand, how he built Grown Alchemist, and what its recent acquisition by the L'Occitane Group means for the business. So Jeremy, founder of Grown Alchemist, welcome to our podcast. How are you doing today? Doing great. I'm um, speaking to you from Melbourne, Australia. So um, the other side of the world for you, but uh, it's uh, coming to summer here. Things are feeling good. Before I you know, jump into Grown Alchemist and the business as it stands today, I feel like it's very important to get context about your career background because it has led you to you know, founding this business and where you are today, be that, you know, making the executive decisions or, as you said to me before we started, helping out in the warehouse and packing a box. But if I take you as far back as you want to go, tell me about your career background. Oh my gosh. Okay. I'm going to take you a long way back. You've invited it. I'm going to deliver it. <laughs> um, I think um, we... You know, my brother and I started this together, and we come from quite an entrepreneurial family. And um, and funny you mentioned warehousing, and I know we talked about it. I, I mentioned it as, as joking, but actually, um, my dad was in logistics and had a company initially in New Zealand where we grew up, and then that spread to Australia and then to Canada. And so he ended up kind of he ended up taking on, if I look back, enormous risks um, and. With a family of three, we have a younger sister. Um, he just sort of was like, "Well, let's give it a go." And and actually, um, that's how Grown Alchemist started. I I was working in London, um, very happy, loving London, love, love, love London, and uh, and and kind of was enjoying just a a fairly um, you know a, a, a career kind of professional journey. Started, um, I trained in business and that was my kind of core, um, specialized in global marketing strategies and, um, and, and my postgraduate was in, in, in sort of global, um, strategic marketing. And so very sort of marketing, finance, business, that kind of space. And I came back to New Zealand, my brother, Kirsten, who, um, is quite creative. He had a product development company, very, very small. Uh, and he was doing a bunch of work in different fields. One of them was aromatherapy. And I got him to help me on a project that I was working on in London that went really well. I actually had run out of money. The company that I'd asked to help me, uh, to partner with me, just failed. 
Um, and I said, I called him up one night and said, mate, I need a favor. Can you do this job for me? At that time, I think pounds were three pounds to the dollar. So I had no money, but he thought that was a lot of money for him. <laughs> so, so I said, you know, help me out. Um, and he said, okay, if I get this and do this for you and it goes well, you've got to come skiing in New Zealand. That's the deal. That's I haven't seen you for ages. And I said, okay, I will make the trip down. I'll pay for the trip down and we'll go skiing. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll even pay for some of your accommodation. And he goes, okay, done. It went really well. We had, there were no changes. It was bang on. And so he said, right, you're coming down. So I came down and on the first night of skiing, he we were sitting in front of the fire and I think we'd had probably too many whiskeys. And he said to me, um, so really, what do you want to do with your life? And I said, well, I'm kind of enjoying it right now. And he said, no, but like if you could do anything and cast your mind forward, what would you do? And I said, well, I've always imagined starting my own thing. And I funnily enough always thought we would probably do something together. I don't know why. And he said, so why don't we do that now? And I said to him, well, I've got no money and I think we need some money and I think we probably need a bit more experience. And he goes, look, you'll never have enough money. <laughs> I don't think you'll ever have enough experience. And I protested and by the time we had finished skiing, he'd convinced me not to go back to London. So how so how did you go from, in, in your own words, you and your brother um, deciding to do a, a thing to to creating grown alchemist as in a brand you it, it's so you know just describing it as a thing is such a an obscure and wide range how did you narrow down that you know this was the industry that you wanted to go down together we started topical but we ended up going to all the different fields whether it was digestion food environment emotions um you know um, physical processes in the body that affect anything that affects wellness. Um, and so we came back and then we did some formulations. We came back and we said, look, this is, this is very interesting dynamic, which we found, which is aging in the body and longevity is directly connected with a thing called function and functions directly derived from health. And if we, sort of extrapolate that and play around with that thinking and understanding and then apply that to topical, what we should really be thinking about is how to allow the body's natural renewal processes and deliver function and health to the body. And so all the things that we are currently putting in our products probably should get a real kind of tight review because some of them, although they might have some sort of benefits to them, whether it's preservative or otherwise, actually are not necessarily the best thing topically for the body. In fact, there's some research out there that says, you know, it was emerging at the time that said that some of them could even be carcinogenic. So, and then a friend of ours had a, um, had a, had a fight, a battle with cancer and, um, and she, one thing we noticed with her is she started to react to all her skincare and it just made, it was a series of events that we went through that really kind of made us think. So we were very passionate about this new space and started to invest in it quite a bit of time and energy and money. And we went back and did this pitch and said, look, 
there's an opportunity, we believe, to do not only something that's commercially fantastic, but do something that is actually meaningful. And here it is. And so we presented it. We presented how you might have to manufacture it, the different manufacturing procedures you'd have to go through, how you clean your machines down with different materials, packaging changes. Can't go for leaching packaging. You have to go for sort of inert packaging. Um, and at that point, people were like, plastic's plastic. They didn't understand polypropylene versus PET and yeah. you know um, all those sorts of things. And PLA wasn't really even there. So all of these new technologies hadn't really emerged. And And – the short answer that we got back was this is this is i'm going to waste all my money this is the bleeding edge of the market not the leading edge from that you know bleeding edge as they described it that's that was the concept uh, the, the, what you presented them but when it came to um the creation of the brand how how did we get there and and what was it that you initially launched with because obviously you've developed it since well, they said no, and we said we've spent too much. We're going to launch our own. That's kind of that point, right? They just said, forget it. And so we decided to do our own. And then we'd already created some products. And so we started to ramp up our own. We kind of had a tipping point and started to ramp up our own moment. Um, and that's when we switched to making a decision. It wasn't a direct switch, but making a decision to move away from consultancy and into our own brand. Part of that, to be honest, was naivety. We didn't really understand what we were saying yes to at all. Um, so that's when we launched with, and, and we, we knew a little bit. We said we had never really done much with the buyers. So we were naive with buyers, but we knew about product development. And so we launched, we knew enough to keep it tight. We launched with 15 products. Um, probably would have launched with less if I'd done it again. Um, and particularly in now, uh, you know, nowadays where you've got the ability to amplify much better. Shelf space was important back then because shelf space represented presence and there wasn't anything called the internet um, at that point. <laughs> so, so we had to, so we, we had to get shelf space and 15 products with a few different SKU sizes gave us a, sort of an end cap, basically. How has, the brand, but specifically, I guess, the product range developed since, you know, that initial launch where you were panicking about the amount of sales. <laughs> well, I think, um, I think you, you um, so firstly, um, you, you, you really, as soon as you can, as soon as we could, because we're product junkies, basically look to expand the range. That was our kind of moment. We were like, look, um, we've got a retailer that wants to give us more than, an end cap or more than three shelves, more than four shelves. And so we started to fill in the gaps of products that we wanted to use. Basically, it was very much like if we were, you know, what would our next favorite product want to be? And um, we would canvas our team, but we sort of had some very clear ideas on what we wanted and we would expand to the point now where I think at about um, about 90 different products um, and, and then about, um, gosh, probably about 45 countries, something like that the science behind the products what can you tell me about that well it's it's very i mean i think i think every um every brand that that really deserves a voice i think has to have a clear reason for existing right um i think that this is one of the one of the wonderful things about social media and one of the dilemmas and and one of the you know there's an overwhelming 
kind of wall and foam of information that just seems to be, um, you know, coming at us continually, right? Um, and I think it's a tricky thing, that sort of wall of, of, of information. And I think for us, the science rests around something very simple. And that simplicity is about um, what I would call the function of the human body and the renewal processes in the body and really understanding those and creating products that activate those. Hi, I'm Tom Shearsmith, news editor at the Industry of Beauty. And I'm here to remind you that every day we dedicate ourselves to producing daily news features and insights to keep our readers up to date and ahead of the curve of events changing the UK beauty market, such as breaking stories, interviews, and analysis. Remember to check in every day to stay up to date. All of our content is free to view, and why not sign up for our free daily update newsletter to get all of this essential content delivered direct to your inbox. Away from the customer and the body and look in the general sphere of, you know, the world that we live in, Sustainability as well is obviously a massive thing for Grown Alchemist. Um, what are you doing in your business to be more responsible? I think you're absolutely right. I think, um, I mean, I think this is like any business, um, sustainability is a buzzword. Everybody jumps on it because the consumers yeah. kill you if you don't, right? That's kind of, that's kind of the, <laughs> you know, and, and they'll hang you out to dry and tell you you're a terrible company. Um, and I think so. A lot of companies have have said, "Well, boy, we better fix that, right? We don't want to we don't want to find ourselves on Estee Laundry um, with you know plastic bags and you know um, bad practices or where, wherever it is you're touted, you know, you're touted as being evil." I think um, I think once you've kind of ticked that box and gone, oh, "Gosh, we're there," right? I think you've got to step back and say, "Well, why are we doing this? Why is sustainability?" Why is being responsible as a business important other than a consumer response, right? And for us, um, when you understand the power of nature when it's given its space to be what it should be and how important that is for the natural neural processes of the body – you change the way you think about everything you do. So um, if I give you an example, if you take um, – there's a, there's a wonderful movie out called um, – it's a documentary that's been out for a long time, but it's called Kiss the Ground. And basically it talks about the importance of the earth. Um, it's, it's, it sort of takes a whole bunch of different practices, but it talks about the importance of soil and saying everything starts with soil everything. If you don't have good soil, you can't grow good crops. If you can't, if you use, and so what, what, and then if you can't grow good crops, then the nutrient value of the crops you grow is really bad and really low. And then also there's a whole bunch of additives and those things that affects the function of the body. Now put all that aside and say, and look at, look at soil that's had too many pesticides, too many growth additives. Um, and what do you get? Well, after a while you get a dust bowl where nothing will grow. Remove, and this is a great example of how the skin works. Remove all of that. Allow the body to the the soil to regenerate. Give it natural. Give the soil natural support. And in many cases, just don't put pesticides on it. 
and the soil comes back. And the crops you plant are completely different. Now, why is that sort of connected to sustainability? Well, as soon as you you create something physically that cannot be at least neutral, but hopefully positive, right? Yeah. Whether it's a product that you can't put on your garden because it's got chemicals in it that can't be used on flowers, right? So you can't capture gray water. You start to realize that thinking that way is really important because ultimately we are creating our health and wellness from the soil up. And and when you're looking at ingredients to put in products, you can't just look at the ingredients. You need to look at the entire process they've gone through um, because that has a profound impact on the quality of the product and whether it's actually going to achieve what we want it to achieve, which is to support the beautiful and miraculous processes of the body. Mm-hmm. And so I think at its heart, if we really stop to think about it, being sustainable, um, being a brand that is responsible and takes environment seriously is far bigger than sort of a marketing box tick. It's actually about creating products that we use that will give us a higher quality of life. So what we did was we employed the support of a company called um, uh, um, Positive Luxury, which is a UK-based company that that it deals in um, a very holistic space. So it deals deals in obviously processes, but it also deals in environment, uh, work environment, um, talks to minimum hours, where you source your products from, um, making sure that they're all done responsibly, um, and forces you to get the documentation, even though you might know it, to get the actual documentation from people, from partners. There's another organization called B Corp. We're actually, I think, nearly two-thirds of the way through B Corp. Positive Luxury and B Corp are very similar. So I just wanted to to look at the UK market specifically because that's where the majority of our audience is. Um, You obviously have great penetration in the UK already with some of the, the stockists that you've got, but I really wanted to hear it in your own words about what you feel about the UK market and if you see the possibility of any further growth, um, I think the UK market has led led uh, many markets in 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 the way that you have embraced e-commerce. Um, I think you were by far the UK was by far ahead of the rest of the world, and beauty um, uh, nearly over six nearly sixty percent of beauty was online um, before COVID. Um, Click and collect was a huge thing in London and elsewhere, um, and and really hasn't made its way down to Australia and or many other markets um, to the degree you guys have. Um, so I think it's a very dynamic marketplace. Um, I think it's tough for retailers as a result because um, people are very comfortable buying online and feel um, that it's they're adventurous too. It's not a bad way to find a product. Um, so I think. Um, Continued growth online, our online business, uh, direct online business in the UK is quite small. We've got opportunity to really expand that. I think um, um, we are a, a bricks and mortar business. We love talking to consumers and customers and 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 people that want to talk about you know beauty and how to and 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 sometimes the best way to do that is turn up and say, "Look at my skin, help me." 
you know, we, we're physical, so I don't know if that will ever go away, and we don't want it to. We, it's it's a really important part of what we do. Um, I think, um, but I think, you know, um, I, I'd love to. We've got um, some fabulous ambition. Um, you know, fl- we've got a flagship store and a treatment center down here in Australia, and we'd love to bring some of that into the UK market. Really, not so much as a revenue moment, more as an education moment, and really talking to having a, a place where. Um, people can come and hear and learn and and um, and we can bring different people into that space, whether it's people who can talk about food and plant-based diet in relation to skin and health or meditation or whatever it is. Um, but all connected to kind of one thing, which is how we look and how our skin performs over time. Um, I think, you know, retail-wise um, – it's the UK has a few incredible retailers, um, world the world best examples, and so I think what we want to do as a brand is make sure that we are doing everything we can to support those um, retail moments and just continue to grow in those spaces. Yeah, I mean, um, for example, yeah. uh, I think you're in Harrods, you're in John Lewis, you're. There's so many e-commerces in the UK as well that you're in. Yep. It's, you know, to a, to a UK consumer, they are, I don't want to use the word, but legendary establishments. They've been around for, you know, hundreds yep. of years. So the fact that your brand is there and it's, uh, you know, a showcase, it, it's... It's know, a great space to be. It really yeah. is. And, and, and Selfridges launched recently and, and, you know, Selfridges is one of those retailers that, Oh my gosh! I've always um, loved and wanted to be part of, and um, and spent way too much money in. Um, but <laughs> but love to have loving loving being a part of that um, channel as well. So yeah, I, I think um, it you know retail is a funny thing right now. Um, we kind of threw it away uh, when I say we did as consumers. We all threw it away and said, yeah, we're going to be online now for the rest of our lives after COVID, um, and then kind of the exact opposite has happened in many spaces, right? Where we've come back and said, I just want to get out of the house off my computer and see and, and go walk the walk the, the, the department store, you know? I, I want to ask then how Grown Alchemist performs online versus in-store. Obviously, you've got your in-store activations, um, but how, how what is the balance really between the two? Um, I think we've we grew up as a bricks and mortar brand, and it's because the era we grew up in, right? We started. Um, I think we launched we launched the brand in Australia in two thousand and eight in bricks and mortar. And so the funny thing was, um, it wasn't until two thousand thirteen that we were allowed to have a website, and in two thousand and fourteen we were allowed to put make it e commerce. And so, and when you sort of think, gosh, that's sort of ten years ago, a uh, little less than. And in 10 years, if, if I said to some brand now, as a retailer, the retailer is not allowing me to do my own e-com site, people would go, are you mad, right? <laughs> so I think as a business, we grew up with bricks and mortar and and we love it. I think we're not as native in a social online space. So what we've really had to do is um, – is thankfully surround ourselves by people that know that space intuitively and um, and are helping us with how to communicate our heart 
it's really just another communication channel, another method of communication and really, and, and, and get our, um, our message and why we think we have a, a voice into that space. An important thing that happened with Grown Alchemist was the acquisition by L'Occitane Group yep. in March 2022. Yes. How has the brand benefited from that group's resources? Because we've we've spoken previously to L'Occitane and uh, interviewed specifically their UK and now I think Europe general uh, manager. And she talked about how the wider and the bigger business group has helped um, specific areas of the business because they have the knowledge. Yeah. How has that benefited you? Well, I think they're a very unusual company. Um, and, you know, the bizarre thing was we weren't really looking for investment. In fact, we didn't really want it. Um, we had plenty of cash and we were like, well, look, you know, we'll just con- continue on. It's a little family co- company. Um, but I think as a business, Loxatan are – as a company, they're very interesting. They're, they're, they're really primarily started by, um, by a couple of innovative founders, right? Um, and who are still very much in the, in the driver's seat and have a real appreciation for entrepreneurship. And that's so different to a lot of big businesses, um, in the beauty industry, particularly. And so, as a result, they have a huge amount of respect for um, the the sort of the the importance of maintaining culture and found, and the and keeping the founder taste in the business, um, which which is really un, unusual. The bit that they completely recognise is exactly what you said. They've got processes, teams, incredibly capable people all over the world. And so when when we say, look, we would love a retail store in Seoul, Korea, they then go, well, we've got five people um, who do research into locations in Southeast Asia. Uh, they'll give you the three best locations in Seoul, Korea and tell you exactly which one to go for and they'll negotiate the lease for you, right? And then they'll employ the staff and help you with the build and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So you, you kind of go through their machine um they made this comment they said um don't look at it like we're buying you what we're doing is we're um we're saving you 30 years it's not it's not an acquisition so much and we're we're still in with shareholding as 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 we stand but um um so it's not a it's not a majority acquisition what it is 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 we are giving you the ability to to do something that would just from our own experience take you about 35 years plus to get to. And there's a lot of moments and, 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 and speed humps in that process that we can smooth out for you and accelerate. And yeah. we could probably take that 35 years and reduce it to like five years. So that was sort of the thinking that kind of captured our attention because it, you know, we feel like, there's a gap where even in this sort of clean space, there's a lot of inauthenticity and there's a lot of room for just um, an honest voice. And we felt like, well, we can bring that, but you've got to bring it in a way that um, people can hear it, right? <laughs> and so 
um, we're down here in Australia. Um, you know, it's kind of like we're one little bird chirping and maybe we could be a whole lot of birds all around the world saying the same thing. So that that's what captivated us, and I think that's what they bring more than anything. They bring the know-how how to to amplify and to accelerate something. Yeah. And but it doesn't change I, the core. Yeah. If I finish off and ask, um, and it, it'd be interesting to know actually whether since the, the well, I won't call it an acquisition, but since Occitan No, it is an acquisition. You're, you're yeah. 100% but, right. But since Occitan Group um, acquired and got involved in the business, I'd be interested to know if it's changed, but what are your ambitions for the brand going forward? If we were to look at the next, uh, you know, 24, 48 months, um, I know that's a long period and potentially your plans are stretched that far, but <laughs> what are you hoping for? Well, I think um, it definitely has changed. Um, what happens, what happens is all of a sudden you, you, you are surrounded by people who you wouldn't normally get access to when you have a small company. Right. Um, I think w- I describe our journey as um, a couple of chaps doing a lot of things wrong, sort of muddling through and managing to get somewhere. Um, and what what happens is when you when you you know when you're bringing on that kind of level of expertise, all of a sudden you get access to some really smart uh, operators who have been there and done it. And so that that was you know so I think that's changed in all sorts of spaces. It's allowed us to to not go more global, but to go go global better. Yeah. Um, and to and to work with our retailers in a way better way, a more profound way, supporting them at a greater level, and creating a much more solid business rather than massive market expansion. What it is about for us is really building. Um, building businesses in the markets that we're already in to a much greater uh, degree of solidness of performance, um, working closer with retailers and understanding how we can support their work better, um, and so that you know um, you're not just a a one shelf or a half shelf and a and a and a and a lovely retailer in Dusseldorf, but you get to give a bay in an installation because you warrant it and you've delivered for them. I just want to say thank you really for giving me over half an hour of your time to talk to me about, you know, not only Grown Alchemist as a business, but the UK market, the acquisition, and possibly most importantly, your your wealth of knowledge and your industry background. So I just want to say thank you for my behalf. It has totally been my pleasure. Totally been my pleasure. Thank you so much for giving me some time. If this beauty leader's story inspired you, why not head over to our website at www.theindustry.beauty or find us on your favorite podcast platform where you can hear from many more leading industry figures. Don't forget to subscribe so you can be sure that you never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, please do leave us a review or rating. If you would like to suggest names that you would like to hear on the podcast, feel free to drop us a line at press at theindustry.beauty. And remember to visit www.theindustry.beauty for your daily beauty fix and to sign up for our free daily update newsletter.